Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Alexis, en el descuento ha marcado el Arsenal como viene siendo habitual esta temporada. Gol de Alexis, 1-0 Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with uh, James from Gunnerblog. Buenos dias, James. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, I'm, I'm not in London. No. I've run away from the football. Uh, I'm in Madrid. Clearly. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Given your connection to the world of football and agents, mm -hmm. you're there mm -hmm. doing some work. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'm br I'm bringing home a few of the boys for Arsenal, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking Atletico and Real's finest back with me to the Emirates. Get in the um, fucking suitcase, Isco. That's it. It is. Honestly, it's a it's a big old suitcase. I, I'm sure EasyJet won't mind if I put a couple of midfielders in there. No, no. Um, budget airlines are always happy for uh, for people to take more luggage than they anticipated. The more the merrier, mm. I think, is their attitude. Um, to be honest, I'm a bit worried about my weight going back. You know, they only weigh the bag. They don't weigh the human, which is good news because I've eaten everything in Spain. That's good. Yeah. Having a good time? Lovely time. I am, in, in seriousness, just on holiday. Yeah. I have to say, actually, I am... I bumped into, well, a, a listener, Mark, who took me on a lovely food tour of Madrid. Hang it on. It was brilliant. Was this on purpose? You didn't just happen to randomly be walking down the street and some guy went, oh, there's James from Gutterblog. Come with me on a, on a culinary tour around Madrid. No, it was sort of slightly more specific than that. What happened was we were meeting uh, a friend of ours anyway called Jermaine, and she has a new man in her life. And said oh, man Congratulations. Yeah, well, congratulations to him. I think they're, they're very much in order. He's a lovely bloke. But this man is called Mark, and he was quite excited, it turned out, in the end, that it was me. He recognised my voice straight away from the podcast. <laughs> and I think the quality of tapas that he uh, you know, bestowed upon us would probably increase due to, due to my ramblings on here. So thanks very much to them. Excellent. Yeah, and there's good eating what, over there. Lots of ham, lots of bread. Lots of ham, lots mm. of ham. Everything's tastes like ham. Even the crisps, the ham-flavoured crisps, can't get enough of those. I did, I'm I, not eating ham, I'm eating ham-flavoured crisps. Yes, I did notice your, uh, on your video you were talking about ham on ruffles. So. Well, what, what, yeah, and again, I'll reiterate, if anyone from Ruffles is listening, endorsements are available. I, I to have honest, to say, that, go on, sorry, I was just going to say that that would be a, a, like a brilliant name for a, a drag performer or something, wouldn't it? Ham on ruffles. I think actually we've been linked with him in the upcoming transfer window. <laughs> he's a kind of, he's a, a Spanish scrappy midfielder, you know, he, he's got a, elements of class, but he's also a little bit tasty. Mm, he could um, do a job, all right. He'd do a job, he's the Matthew Flamini replacement, ham on ruffles. Mm. Um, but yeah, to be honest, I'm enjoying chatting about this. This is, this is 
Good. Let's stay on the non-football. What, okay. what have you been up to? Okay. I, I haven't really been up to very much. Sort of a usual kind of weekend. Yesterday, sure. yeah, you know, just, yeah, football. and But we won't talk about football just yet. How long are you in Madrid for? How long are you staying there? Are you ever coming back? Uh, I don't want to, yeah. if I'm honest. Yeah. I'm coming back on Tuesday. Um, and we've got a game on Thursday, haven't we? Yeah, what a load of old shit that is. Set, I mean, setting up for next season, uh, <laughs> practicing, getting everything in order at the Emirates. On but Thursday you know what? This, this distresses me greatly because for many years now, since 2006, of course, I've been doing the Arsecast, which comes out on a Friday. Right. So if we're playing Thursday night football this week, that's really going to fuck that up. And then mm. going forward, if we're playing Thursday night football on a more regular basis, it's really going to fuck it up. Like, what do I do, James? Do I stay up much later at night on a Thursday and analyze that game? Or <sighs> or do I push the podcast out to like a Saturday or something? I, I don't know. I don't think you can put something out on a Saturday, can you? The, is the internet even open on a Saturday? Well, this is it. This is it. And people, you know, have come to expect their arse cast on a Friday I mean, this is going to... I'm going to have to stay up late after the game. It's going to screw with the whole schedule. I think you should stay up really late, I'm afraid. I think it's going to be pulling all nighter on a Thursday. Yeah. Well. I mean, I know that's not what you want to hear. No, it's definitely not. I, I was hoping you'd have a better solution than that. But, uh, you know, the practicalities I mean, of the fine situation... fine for me. I'm not on the Friday one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Who am I going to get? Like, who's going to be awake on a Thursday night to even talk about People the game in afterwards? America. People oh, in America. that's it. We're going to have to like add some American contributors to the podcast, and they'll be all, "Yeah, come on." Be, yeah, that's you know very very positive, very positive people. Yeah. That could be useful at this time. Yeah, you never know. So, look, are we gonna are we gonna do it? Do we have to do it? We should do it. Are we gonna we're gonna have to? Are we? We'll do it again, shall we? We'll do it again. Oh. Face the music. Actually, if we are if we are going to face the music, perhaps we should do it with like a sinister, doomy bass line. I've got one lined okay. up. Have you got the synthesizer? Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's coming through. I'll take your word for it that you're absolutely nailing it. Oh, I am. It's oh god, it's one of the best bass lines ever, and it's not happening. What's going on with this fucking thing? This is so annoying. Anyway, maybe um maybe it's just reflective of. Of where we are. Let me see. Can you hear it? Can you hear it now? No. I can't hear it. It's, it's not meant to be. No. Can the listeners hear it? I don't know. Hang on. I don't know. But they can't even tell us if they can or not. See, this is more more audio woes going on. They're continuing. Do you, do you want to admit that you've pulled all the plugs out and rewired everything this week? Or No. I already did that on Friday and, you know... <laughs> <laughs> So we should um, we should we should talk about football. Okay, well you had a valiant attempt to not. So <laughs> I'll tell you what, more good news. I didn't watch the game live. <laughs> Hang on, what? You, you, I didn't watch the game live. Did you was, did you were you aware of the what happened or did you oh, go I was to, following it. I was I was asleep, half asleep in uh Retiro Park in Madrid, which is very beautiful. Hang on, you were just asleep in a park. Yeah. Were you wearing your tracksuit pants? Were you wearing your tracksuit pants? Please tell me. I was me just you on were. a bench in my tracksuit. Yeah. <laughs> People kept giving me money. I'm not sure why. And um <laughs> and and uh, then I came home and I downloaded the uh, 
what, what, what's been called extended highlights, but I mean, they were stretching it. I think they were stretching that one right out. How long were the extended highlights? About padding. three minutes, 20 yeah. seconds? <laughs> three minutes and there was a lot of padding in there. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that you know, there were some times that we sort of nearly, nearly, nearly scored goals. Mm. Yeah, they were yeah. few and far between though. It was really bad. It was so, I mean, the first half was just so dull and lifeless uh, and uninspiring. Mm, it really a was. diabolical game, really. I mean, what? okay, well, I mean, I'm going to have to ask you then because obviously yeah. there were periods where nothing happened that I, I haven't seen. Why, why did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> because we're not very good. Uh, because yeah. the players looked like they were going through the motions. Because... The manager, the way that he set this team up, I don't know. They looked unmotivated. You know, it's difficult because sometimes you can play really badly. I always remember a game years and years and years ago. It could have been like a nil-nil draw with Coventry or something like that. I can't remember. Mm. Some ridiculous game. And right. it was one of those where we were accused of oh, Arsenal had no fight. They didn't care. One of those games where we, we let it pass us by in a way. And then I remember looking at a picture from the game and Freddie Jumberg is scrapping for the ball against an opponent. And it's hard to reconcile the picture of a guy really trying to win the ball with a team that played really poorly. And it's kind of the same with yesterday, is that they, you know, they ran around and they sort of did tackles and there were some good headers and some interceptions and that kind of stuff. But it was like window dressing on top yeah. of a performance that they didn't really care too much about or that the manager couldn't make them care enough about. You know, I know that stuff happened um, over the, the last few months, which has rendered the game in terms of a title challenge absolutely meaningless. Mm. But there's still a bit to play for in terms of securing the top four position that we all, uh, we all know. And clearly the players want to finish as high as they can, but... I think the life has just been sucked out of them to an extent as well. That whatever the message is that's going through on the training ground, Arsene Wenger said afterwards, I want to repair the mental damage. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing to say. The mental damage from a, a group of players whose mental strength and character and resilience he has been extolling all season long in the face of the worst run of form in ages and ages, that January to like mid-March thing, you know, he's talking about the team having exceptional quality and showing character and showing all this stuff. And it's like, what? There was none of that yesterday. None of it. And I don't doubt that they want to win and I don't doubt that they tried, but I just think that they're, they're just completely flat. Everything is completely flat from the players to the manager to the crowd, everything. So there's my considered opinion of what happened yesterday. I mean, it's very cheery, isn't it? It's a cheery outlook. Yeah. But I understand completely. I mean, you know, the, the, the way the fans feel, and, and I don't want to speak for all supporters by any means, but it, there is a kind of resignation, a sense of frustration and a feeling that nothing really is going to change, you know? Mm. And that's something that's been there for the last few years. But what I wonder now, looking at this team on the field, is the degree to which that is transmitting to the players. Um, I, don't mean, I don't mean from the fans, but I wonder if they also have that kind of Groundhog Day feeling and this sense of something more radical is required because 
they're making the same errors game on game, year on year, and there's no sign of a, an arrest in that, really. Yeah. I mean, the, the collapse this season has been remarkable. When you think about yeah. where we were in January, and people pointed to injuries to Cazorla, to Coquelin, to Alexis. Those guys were injured at the end of November. We went through December mm-hmm. relatively well, if I recall correctly. I think we obviously had that that terrible result against Southampton, the 4-0 away from home. We had a terrible result against Southampton, but we had the brilliant result against Olympiacos in the Champions League, 3-0 away that took us. Um, we beat Manchester City yeah. um, at home. In fact, we won every game in December uh, with the exception of the Southampton match. That was one, two, three, four, five wins to one defeat. Yeah, and actually in all competitions in December, there were one, two, three, four... Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry, I'm looking. And and actually, subsequent to the Southampton game, the four nil, we lost or we won the next three games as well. Next two Premier League games and an FA Cup game. So yeah. what's happened from January, where we were two points clear of Leicester at the top of the table, to now being thirteen points behind them, it's remarkable. It's an absolute disintegration of a season. The worst fears that all of us had have have just been realised in terms of the way that the team has performed and the way that there's been no there's been no way of arresting that slump. No, it's it's really awful, and I think we when we won the two games against Everton and Watford, I think we all rightfully well not rightfully but we all understandably thought that maybe a torna had been cur- a torna had been kerned yes well look <laughs> i like that i like a torna finally, being finally finally we've corned that torna whatever it is um but you know we had a new look team a new attacking lineup elneny had come into the midfield uh, and there was a sense of a, a bit of positivity the last two games have really sucked the life out of that haven't they mm. yeah they really have you know, from where we were against West Ham, um, uh, and we talked about that capitulation last week, and then yesterday, 1-0, and look, it wasn't the greatest game. We weren't playing particularly well, but neither were Palace uh, threatening us. We didn't look well, under not, any pressure. Well, they're not very good, Palace, and no. they haven't been for a long time. No, they're not. And he made a couple of subs on 75 minutes that I don't think he needed to make. I don't think he needed to bring on Aaron Ramsey and I don't think he needed to bring on Olivier Giroud. And the fact that neither of those players, I don't want, not being especially critical of those players, neither of them contributed anything to the final 15 minutes of the game. Like the the memory I have of Giroud is there was a, the ball was in the Palace half at one point and maybe there was a, a challenge. I can't remember what it was. Somebody bumped into him too, too hard and he stood there with his arms in the air protesting against this thing that only he saw while the game just carried on around him. The ball was bouncing around him. He was standing there uh, imploring the referee to give him something that like only he wanted. And that really summed up the, the, the attitude for me. And yeah, that's not to be especially I mean, critical of Giroud, by the way. You know, he's had a really shit run of form. Uh, and I think in the context of the season, he's, he's one of the least of our problems, really. That he's the, he's the leading goal scorer. And I think we all know we could do with a better striker. Um, but, but, you know, that kind of attitude, rather than just get on with it, play the whistle, chase after the ball, win it back, do something with it. Don't stand there just 
moaning at a referee. It's- no, and I think, you know, the last few games, Iwobi and Welbeck have been substituted around the same time. You know, 72 minutes, 75 minutes, something like that in each of the last four fixtures or something. And I think I do understand why one's a young player, one's still, I guess, in in some kind of rehab from his long-term knee problem. But Mm. with the game poised so delicately yesterday, you know, I would have been advocating trying to keep those players on the field, especially because the next game, Thursday, is still some way away, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's not like we're playing Saturday, Tuesday or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Um I mean, although Ramsey and Giroud, I don't think, were the, the substitutes who made the, the worst contribution of the day from, from what I saw. <laughs> the Walcott thing was fucking amazing. Just absolutely amazing. Like, yeah, I mean, he, a, a moment of levity on a difficult day. Yeah, he's thrown on, right, with five minutes to go because we fucking stupidly conceded a goal. And that was a that was really quite an annoying goal to concede, by the way. Well, should, I mean, should we... We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Do you want to, st- you want to stay with the Walcott thing? I think so, yeah. Okay. Keep my spirits up. All right, so 85 minutes is the 85th minute, whatever it is. And Theo's on the pitch. And Wilfred Zaha gets past Monreal and he pulls the ball back. And it comes to Walcott in the middle of midfield. No one anywhere near him. He's got players to the left of him. Ramsey's making a run, I think it is. I'm going to look at it now. I'm going to like commentate on it in, in live time. As live. As live. Live. So here it it's is. Live. Here it is. Okay. Okay, so uh, Zaha gets the ball on the right. Or he goes past Monreal. He's gone past Monreal. Pulls the ball back. Here it is to Walcott. Okay, he's got Ramsey. Ramsey's in midfield. Just a simple pass. Giroud's making a run. Walcott's on it. He stops. Now he falls. And he's sitting there on his arse, waving his hands in the air like somebody did something to him. Like a Crystal Palace player came in behind him and booted him up the hole and made him fall over. And all he did was just run. And then you could see where his mind went. I don't know what I'm going to do here. I've got no idea what to do. Um, shit. Okay, I'll stop and try and go backwards. And he stopped on the ball and then just fell. And the guy took the ball off him. It was fucking candy from a baby kind of stuff. And Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was really, really funny, but also really bad. And also sort of indicative of why perhaps we have a team that, that can't win the title. That a guy like Walcott... Like if this is if this is the contribution he makes when he comes on, I don't know. He scored a good goal, didn't he, when he came on as a sub against Leicester? So there's there's yeah. that part of Theo Walcott. He can do that part, but those things, goal, yeah. yeah, those things seem to be more the exception than the rule these days. Well, I think he's a player. I think who we've always known has got certain limitations. But we talk about Giroud being in a bad run of form. I guess. He's very much the same. He's in a real rut of form. This mm. is Theo at his worst. Um, and I think he's better than this. Um, but it's been a long time, certainly, since he showed that with any kind of regularity. And uh, I thought, I mean, we haven't really spoken, have we, about Austin Wenger's comments about him last week? What did he say? Do you remember he said he hasn't developed as expected in the position? Um, he was, I thought he was quite damning, actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which is quite unusual for him um, to, to be sort of publicly 
critical of a player. He said if Theo needs to make his mind up if he wants to play on the right or through the middle. But but surely um, now what you know you know me I'm not a Walcott fan. It's not Walcott's decision to make, really, is it? No, it's the manager's decision where 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 he should be playing. So if he wants to be a striker, fine, be a fucking striker. If you want to be a winger, be a winger. But it's nothing to do with Walcott, ultimately. He gets picked where he's picked. The manager picks him where he wants him to play in the team. So it's up to Arsene Wenger to decide what Theo Walcott is. And if, after 10 years of watching him play for Arsenal, train for Arsenal, and everything else, Arsene Wenger is saying that it's up to Theo Walcott to decide, then I think that's a, an abrogation of, of his own responsibility in that regard. Because he should be the one who makes the decision, and he should be the one who, who dictates the player's career. Now, w- when the player's out on the pitch, he's the guy who's got to perform. But where he plays, that's down to the manager, 100%. Well, I think that's probably fair. I think that's probably fair. Mm. Um, well, after that fun interlude, shall we get to the equaliser? Did we talk about the? We took, we should talk about our goal just to um, just to have yeah, something yeah, good to I talk about. about the nice, it, that was a nice goal. <laughs> I loved it. I loved the well back pass. It was a little nicely scoopy, dinky sort of pass over the top. I liked it. I liked the technique of it. And a good header. You know, Sanchez is. So it scores a lot of headers for a, for a not particularly tall man. Is is that the equivalent of a six foot seven player who's got a nice touch? Nice touch for a big man. Scores a lot of headers for a little he, guy. Yeah, I think so yeah, he's sort of you know the Tim. Um, but that was a brilliant goal and and perfectly timed. Ought to have given us a platform mm. to go and win the game, as we all know. Yeah, didn't transpire. No. It did not transpire that way. So, their goal. What did you make of that? God. I wrote a lot of uh, opinion pieces in the past couple of weeks saying how Petchak should come straight side. <laughs> um, and how he was definitely a superior goalkeeper to David Espina. I mean, I, I stand by that, but I think he'll be disappointed at the way that goal beat him at the near post. Yeah. Very disappointed. Yes, I think so. I think so. I mean, for, for a keeper of his experience and quality, it was... It was really poor goalkeeping, I mm. thought. But also, I was a little unhappy at the the lack of aggression in our defending in the build-up to that goal. And there was another, actually, there was another bit that annoyed me just before the goal, before Palace came upfield. I think there was a chance for Monreal to to be a little more aggressive in their box. A couple I of times, that, yeah. yeah, a couple of times it sort of fell for him where if he'd been really aggressive, uh, you know, he could have had a first time shot and maybe caused some problems. And there was another moment where I think Giroud laid it off to him and he took a touch and it was it was taken away from him. Now, I'm not blaming Monreal for, for you know, our lack of goals or anything like that. But again, I think it speaks to a lack of decisiveness throughout the team in, in all areas of the pitch. So Palace come forward then, Adibayor down the left-hand side, he's just ambling along, running along with Gabriel beside him. Where's the tackle? Where is the shoulder? Mm. Where is making life difficult for him? Um, in some ways, perhaps this was a guy, Gabriel, not willing to to take a risk in terms of the way that he's playing. Has he been told, you know, uh, be a little less aggressive because it's gotten you into trouble before? Has he been told, well, remember what Coquelin did against uh, uh, against uh, Harry Kane uh, at White Hart Lane? Don't jump in, don't dive in. But you, fuck, you know, you want your centre half to make life difficult for for an attacker there, and he didn't do well, that. I wonder if. It- 
as well. Crystal Palace, actually one of the most dangerous teams in the league on set piece. Maybe they've been instruction, make sure you don't give away anything around the box, you know, make sure you don't get, commit any fouls. There an opportunity to give us a threat in the air, especially after what happened at West Ham. Because I agree, a lot of the defending was a, a little bit hesitant. Yeah. Um, um, but we, I mean, they had a, quite a number of corners. None of them were particularly threatening. There was one free kick late in the first half. I think Conor Wickham headed over. And that was about the only time they really threatened from a set piece. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe that was the instruction. Don't give them the chance to put in dangerous balls from, from those areas. So I understand it to a certain extent. But you can also make a tackle and win the ball without committing a foul. That's also part of, of good ideally, defending. Ideally. Ideally, yes. And then um, Balassi got the ball, cut inside, shaped to shoot. Uh, Coquelin, um bought the dummy and bought the dummy again and didn't block the shot. And then, of course, the shot goes in at the, at the near post. And it's, what, eight, nine minutes to go in the game. Uh, a game that you should be winning by more than 1-0. And all of a sudden, you've, you've dropped more points. And at that point, I think and everybody any, knew. Any confidence at that point that we would get back in front no none whatsoever yeah none whatsoever because the team didn't look like it and he, even in those last 10 minutes where we've seen it before haven't we like worse individuals than we've got at this moment in time have in in similar kind of circumstances really piled on pressure in the last 10 minutes that's happened mm-hmm. so many times Sometimes you score, sometimes you don't. But always you hear people afterwards saying, well, why couldn't we play like that for the 90 minutes? Which is, a, you know, I, under, I understand the complaint to a certain extent, but it, it takes the context out of it. But there wasn't even that. We weren't even able to well, do that. Well, I mean, that. there was the opportunity for, for Palace, wasn't there, with Zaha? Oh, yeah. Uh, on the break, which uh, Jesus, Gabriel, yeah. to be fair to him, you know, at least cut out. Yeah. But uh, that could have been even worse for us. Yeah, it really could have. So, yeah, just dismal, really dismal and indicative of our season as a whole that we we just didn't perform. We're at home against a mid-table team who have nothing to play for this season and we, we drop points. It's just this, yeah, 2016 I mean, has I mean, been really bad. Really bad. And I, I don't think we've... I think we've kind of slept walked through it slightly. I think that we've, we've, it's so familiar that I don't think we, I don't think as a fan base we fully realise quite how bad it's been, because it's not, um, it's not even been fun. You know, it's the, the the performances have been so poor. The matches have not even been great games to watch as a rule, and we've just slid out of contention, slid down the table, mm. and we're now in fourth again. I can't believe it. I'm looking at the Premier League table now and it's it's really depressing, isn't it? It's a really troubling and infuriating state of affairs. Yeah, yeah. We've won eight out of 21 games in 2016. I saw the status there that we've now scored less goals at home than Newcastle. Yeah, they've scored 25, we've scored 24. I mean, that's extraordinary, isn't mm. it? Yeah. It really is. It's, and it's not just extraordinary. Yeah, it's just bad. Yeah. It's bad. There's no two ways about it. There's no dressing it up. There's no excusing it with bad luck or anything like that. It's just bad. The football is bad. There's no. There's very little cohesion. There's very little sense of what kind of football we want to play. You know, do, do, I mean, you don't know, do you? You don't know how Arsenal are going to play other than without any real aggression 
you kind of know that Arsenal can pass the ball about, blah, 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 but there's not much to the way we play football at this at this moment. I've got a question. Yeah. You know, we look back on the era immediately post the move to the Emirates Stadium. It's quite a dark time, you know, uh, the, the banter era, as it's known, Ibuwe, Bentner, Nazari, all that, all that gang. Um, but thinking about it, did we have at least... Even though the team then was a bit of a mess and we were in fourth, you know, in the battle for fourth again and again, mm. did we have a more coherent style and approach at that time than we do now with far more talented players in the squad at this point? Yeah, I mean, you knew what, what kind of football Arsene Wenger wanted to play. It was his sort of tippy-tappy, tiki-taka, Barcelona model type football, wasn't it? With players who weren't mm. necessarily always capable of doing it, but you knew what we were going to do and how we were going to try and do it. And even if that was predictable, at least it was something. I, I just the thing is, what's interesting is that the stick that's often used to beat Arsene Wenger is what's wrong with his team. So an Arsene Wenger team is not defensively secure or an Arsene Wenger team uh, doesn't have a plan B. I think the, the biggest indictment of this current side is that they don't even seem Wenger team. Mm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? They're, yeah. They're, there's there's no identity to them at all. Yeah, it's it's so far removed from what Arsene Wenger has done throughout his Arsenal career. And probably That's it, because you know, for all those criticisms of him, an Arsene Wenger side has some brilliant qualities, some real positive attributes. Yeah. But it feels like this one doesn't isn't part of that mould, doesn't share those qualities. Yeah. It's like um what did you say earlier? About turning the corner, the crisps, or yeah, no, kerning the torner. Oh, was that it? the torner. Yeah, so yeah, this is not one. quite an Arsene Wenger team. It's a Warsen Ranger team. I don't know. That was very poor. <laughs> but you know, it's Something like a pale like imitation of his, his former self. I don't, you know, it's bad. It is, yeah, it is. And and I think the point I'm trying to make, I guess, is that I think we've got better players now than we did mm. then. Yeah, by I some agree. Distance, actually, yeah, I agree. I mean, look. Basically, what it boils down to for me is that this is a team that is much less than the sum of its parts. Mm. Much less. Yeah. Um, we're looking at a team, hopefully, who are going to win the league now, um, who are greater than the sum of their parts. And I think that's an indictment uh, of the manager, um, of our manager anyway. Speaking I of which, so. did, you, did, you, did you see any of Leicester? I've seen the highlights, yeah. Like extended highlights or not, or not? Why? Is there a particular instance? <laughs> no, no. I was just wondering. Um, no, I mean, there were quite a lot of highlights in that game. You know, it was certainly eventful. I, I'm worried they're going to blow it, if I'm honest. I'm a little bit worried about that too. Um, but I have to say that I, I was remarkable yesterday watching seasoned football journalists talk about what Jamie Vardy did as if it wasn't one of the most blatant pieces of simulation that you'll ever see. Well, and hes I think he's been doing it all season. He really. fucking has. He um, did it at our place. Yeah, they've won a lot of penalties. Mm. Um, he, he's got a touch of the Andy Johnsons to him. Do you remember Andy Johnson yeah, at that's Palace? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got anywhere near the goal. He'd immediately go <laughs> over. Um, and obviously he's had a, a great year, but he is a bit of a divey racist, isn't he? He certainly is. And yesterday... The, the way, I mean, he'd already been on a yellow card. I miss the fact that he was already on a yellow card. Mm. Um, he goes into the box, gets in front of the defender, then 
throws a leg into the defender and literally, literally jumped through the air like a man diving into water. Like there's no yeah. no two ways about it. I don't know how anybody could not look at that and say that's a dive. Unbelievable. Well, I mean, I think, you know, they've had some... They've had some luck, haven't they, with their referee decisions? I mean, people say you need that to win the league, but it, it, it's a it's a fairy tale story. But there are some some dark and gritty elements to it, I'm sure. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, good course, luck to them. I desperately hope they do it. Oh yeah, me too, me too. You know, my my um, the fact that I was quite happy to see Vardy. Uh, get done at last for the number of dives he's performed this season, and for one quite as blatant as that, um, is, is very much offset by <laughs> by my need to see Leicester keep winning their games. I mean, yeah. we're in a situation where tonight <laughs> we want Stoke to win. We want Stoke to win. We're it's we're bleak, all we're all Stoke fans, sort of. It was Manchester United last week, and now it's Stoke. Yeah, it's getting. Very unpleasant. This is what this um, season has become. So, you know, all of us are going to have to, I don't know, put on about 70 pounds, take out our front teeth, marry our cousins or sisters, and leap around making strange gestures at, at, uh, at football managers. That's what we have to should, be. Should we be very glad that Manchester United didn't beat Spurs last weekend, given that they're now four points behind us in fifth and we don't look like we're going to pick up another point before the end of the season. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so, but fuck. Is there genuine jeopardy there? The, the top, top four? four? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. When you look at the sides we have to play and what they have to, at stake, you know, Sunderland got a big result this weekend. Norwich need points desperately. Manchester City are Manchester City. I mean, we're going to play you know. teams that won't give up. Yeah. And given that we kind of have given up already, it could it could go anyway. You can't say with any real certainty what Arsenal are going to do. If you look at the form, form suggests that we could win one or we could draw one or we could lose one or two or th- you, you know, there's no real indicator of of what we what we're going to do in these games because literally anything could happen anything mm. could happen with the possible exception of Aston Villa on the last day or even that would it be a surprise to you if on the last day of the season Aston Villa put in a performance or took <laughs> advantage of an Arsenal team that were I don't know what would it surprise you I mean, that would be the ultimate humiliation. There'd be something sort of horribly poetic about that after Aston Villa came to the Emirates and beat Arsenal at the start of the 2013-14 season. Do you remember the, mm. the, the fury in the stands? If they were to repeat that on the final day this time around, that would be very ugly scenes indeed. Yeah. Well, we've got it all to look forward to. <laughs> right here on right this coast. Yeah. All right, look, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back with your questions in part two right after this. Hey. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter and stuff. Yes. At Gunner Blog. And stuff. Yeah. And uh, at Arse Blog with the hashtag Arscast Extra. James, I think I've fixed my um, my baseline issues. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. So uh, I've forgotten which baseline I was going to use, though. What should I use here to try and sum up the mood? What about options? Okay, we've got uh, nighttime drive. Does that sound like it could be something that's particularly gloomy? That sounds too relaxing. Yeah, too relaxing. To okay, me. hang on. Let's let's see what it sounds like. Oh no, that's very that's horrible. That sounds like they've trodden in something. How about this one? Squelchy synth bass. Yeah, I don't know. No. How about synthetic synergy? Do you think that would sum up the Ooh, mood? Could do, could do. Okay, here we go. Yeah, that sounds pretty grim. That sounds pretty horrendous. It yeah. sounds like I've been abducted by aliens or something. Yeah, exactly. They are now probing you in your special area. Well, Andrew, I'm going to probe you with a question from Ooh, the listeners. Nicely done. Thank you very much. Absolutely seamless segue there. Yeah, I think we um, should just point out that literally every question we've got today has been absolutely uh, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so. for that, guys. My Twitter timeline is a bundle of joy, honestly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've got to start somewhere, haven't we? Yeah, we do. So we do. so let's, I'm going to go with this. Okay. From, from Fever Pitch, at Fever Pitch. He asks, uh, he says this, boring, no ambition. No fun anymore. How do we get out of this stale, miserable state? We get a new manager. Straight in? Yeah. From you there, calling it? I think so. Is that the only thing? Well, the other way of doing it is... Half-time entertainment, that could be a thing, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But people aren't going to come just for the 15 minutes at halftime when you've got the shaman on there. Doing Move Fair Any point. Mountain, you know? Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> um, so, go on. Let's be serious. Sorry, I, I ruined the flow. No, 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 so, no. That's okay. I think we need some levity in this. But look, the, the, there's two ways, I guess, that it can happen. One is that the manager goes out this summer 
and spends on fantastic players and perhaps brings in a new coach or two, somebody mm-hmm. to freshen up his coaching team. And all the issues that we have at the moment are addressed on the training ground and in the transfer market. And everything somehow clicks into place next season and we win the league and we win the Champions League. Okay. The other side of that is that we bring in a new manager with new ideas, fresh coaching staff, new scouts, who is given time and a license to work with more or less the same football freedom that Arsene Wenger has, but whose youth, perhaps, or whose outlook on the game is markedly different from Arsene Wenger's. I mean, I think it's it boils down to just familiarity. I was speaking about this on the Arsecast on Friday with uh, with Jim, the man from East Lower, mm-hmm. that it's, there's a familiarity. that it, We spoke about how even if Arsene Wenger had won the league, people wanted change, which is in itself, you know, uh, contrary to what you want a football manager to do. But it's just gone that far that I don't think it's possible for Arsene Wenger to turn it around in terms of, uh, A, addressing the issues that we have from a footballing point of view because if he could have he would have by now that I don't think that's unreasonable to suggest mm-hmm. uh, and B he's not going to be able to turn it around with, with sections of the fan base and you know people are voting with their feet people aren't turning up they're not they're not going to games that they've already paid for either season ticket holders or, or anything else so no, I imagine Thursday against West Brom will be quite an eerily quiet Emirates Stadium yeah I can imagine. Still, attendance, 58,970. It's a sellout. sellout. Yeah, a complete sellout. So I I think in order for it to become fun or what have you, it's got to be different. And I don't think that Arsene Wenger can, can make it different anymore. I think he knows how to do what he knows how to do. And it's also unrealistic to expect a man of 65 or 66 years of age to just change into something that he's not or can't be. So I, I think that that's the answer for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw a couple of tweets actually come in uh, this morning suggesting that, uh, because you wrote in your blog today that you think a change of manager is probably the, the solution at this point, and suggesting that that's a new stance. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's true in your case. I think you've sort of made that point a couple of times. But I wondered, was your... was reaching that conclusion at all influenced by events at Anfield earlier this week and the impact the managers had there. Not so much on results, but more on the energy around the club. Not really, because I I looked at that game as really quite interesting from the point of view that it's... It, it illustrates perfectly the fine margins in football, right? Because mm-hmm. if Lovren doesn't score that goal in the final minute in injury time, Jurgen Klopp is a guy whose team has led in three goals at home in Europe and is going out. Mm. But on the other hand, he's also the guy now whose team had the character and spirit and resilience to score in the last minute and, and, and seal an incredible comeback. But yeah, I mean, I think a new manager can come in and add something different in terms of the energy, in terms of the way that he works. We talked a bit earlier, didn't we, about about the uh, 
the players and the way that they seem to approach games. Like, is the message getting through? Is what Arsene Wenger is doing on the training ground making any significant difference to the way that they're playing? And it's hard to it's hard to suggest that it is. Well, far be it from me to to hog all the questions, but I, I am going to do it because you've sort of led me onto. I mean, the segues are absolutely seamless today. The football might be rubbish, but we are on fire. Hey, look! Um, if there's a Segway uh, Champions League, we're we're going to win it. Yeah, well, we'll certainly get through to the knockout stage and then immediately go out. But uh, <laughs> this this question comes in from Yanni Blankenship, uh, and he's at Yablaz on Twitter. And they ask, hypothetically, what would a new manager do? Motivational and tactical changes, or just new signings, or all the above? And I actually think this is an interesting question because we get a lot of questions saying, who should the new manager be? And that's really difficult to say and you know eventually ultimately we're just pinning it on individual but what would we expect from a new manager I think is a maybe a more interesting question well it's just going to be different anyway isn't it I think the worst thing that Arsenal could do and we've said this on the podcast before the worst thing Arsenal could do is go and look for another Arsene Wenger Mm. would be absolutely the worst thing that they could do because he is uh, as a man as somebody who's uh, had an impact on this football club quite unique uh, and in the modern in the modern game, you know, he's been here for 20 years. I don't think we're going to have that anymore. And I think if we go looking for a man who could be at the club for the next 20 years, then uh, we're going to find that A, very difficult, or we're going to settle for somebody who perhaps isn't right for the job. So a new man is going to come in. He's going to have new ideas. He's going to have a new playing style. He's going to obviously bring in new personnel. He'll want his backroom staff, his coaching staff, perhaps some medical staff, uh, you know, scouting, all those things it would just bring a freshness, a dynamic to uh, to what we do and maybe perhaps move it forward into, um, into the modern age a little bit because uh, there are things that... Look, I get what Snapchat is, right? And I'm a guy yeah. who spends my entire life online. I get what it is, but, you know, I don't also really get what it is. From, sure. You know, I know it's a thing that people use, but I don't necessarily really know how to use it myself. Mm -hmm. So I do wonder if there's an element of that when you're a man like Arsene Wenger. I'm not saying that he's unintelligent or unable to learn new things, but as football develops, as uh, data and as uh, stats and as uh, all these things that now appear to have a big influence on the game become more and more prevalent, I wonder, is it difficult for him to, to embrace those in the way that, let's say, a 20-year-old using Snapchat can do it a lot better than, than I can. Does that? So we need a, a manager who understands Snapchat. Essentially, yes. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, player coach. That's my <laughs> suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the king of social media. It's fine. He certainly um, is. No, I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I don't think it's that Arsene Wenger's out of touch necessarily, but he's not... He's just not of that world, is he? I mean, I guess mm. techniques change and... Obviously, he's a highly, highly respected coach, but I think that you're right. Change would be, in some ways, the most important and the biggest thing, rather than any specifics, just the fact that it was kind of a, a new broom, a new approach. Um, Arsenal has become somewhat stale, hasn't it, as a club? Yeah. And uh, I just think somebody coming through with fresh ideas, a different way of doing things would be transformative in itself and also I think it would give the fans I think the fans fundamentally have, have lost belief in the idea that Arsene Wenger can deliver say the league mm. um, and can fix some of the inherent 
problems in the team. Now, there's no guarantee that a new man will, but I think it, it would be something to believe in. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think the idea that a new manager will come in and immediately win the league is fanciful because it's, it's, it's very difficult to win the league. He'd be uh, doing a miracle, you know, look at, look at what he's inheriting and, you know, we're sort of stumbling into fourth. It's yeah, going to be yeah. really tough. Exactly. I, I mean, I think that's, that, that's the thing that perhaps gets mixed up or there's a conflation, isn't it? Oh, okay, if we fire Arsene Wenger and bring, bring in a new man, everything will be wonderful again. Everything will be right and proper and all the problems that we have will be gone by the wayside because surely no man could come in and have those same problems. But he'll have his own problems. He'll have his own issues. He'll have his own weaknesses and strengths as a manager. And that's something that we're going to have to deal with. And something that we probably need to be realistic about is that when Arsene Wenger leaves uh, and a new man comes in, that it might get worse before it gets better. That's mm. certainly not um, beyond the realms of, of possibility either. It's, it's very difficult, isn't it? Well, I think you it's about just, trajectory, isn't yeah. it? I think it would be a sense of, well, maybe there wouldn't be immediate results, but we might feel we were on a, a path that could lead somewhere. I mean, in some way, do you think it hurts us in the fact that everyone kind of knows his, his, his time is limited now in purely practical terms in terms of how long he's going to work? Do you think it's like, well, we're going to have to sever the ties at some point, so why not sooner rather than later? So uh, how do you mean exactly by that? Do you think that's affecting I mean that, the, the players or...? I mean that if we thought he had another 10 years of management in him, would there be more patience? But is there a sense of, well, there's only one or two years left in his reign, potentially, so what's the point persisting with a formula that isn't really working? Mm. Like, there isn't time to turn it round. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good point. I mean, he is, he's at an age where most people are retiring. I know it's mm. different in football and managers can work on and he's obviously a, a healthy guy. He loves his work, um, but it's the, it's the quality of the work. I mean, even the staunchest critic of Arsene Wenger could, could, could not say that he's a guy who has, uh, you know, sat in his arse and done nothing. Now, you might talk about that in terms of transfers, but, you know, he's at the training ground six, seven days a week. He's first there. He's last to leave. He's committed to his work. He works really, really hard. It's not about the quantity of the work, though. It's the quality of the work. And I think we're seeing this season is that it's not, it's not enough for a club that wants to do well in the Premier League and wants to do well in the Champions League. I mean, this is, mm. this is a, a club... Hang on, I'm just getting the quotes up here from... Uh, from Ivan Gazidis uh, from 2013. Uh, he says, uh, we get beaten up along the way, but I think we are an extraordinarily ambitious club. Yeah. I don't think that's, I don't think that's reflected in what we do off the pitch or on the pitch. I don't think that that ambition is there. I think that to, to, to be really ambitious you've also got to be prepared to take risks. And I don't think that as a football club, we're prepared to take risks. No, we're definitely risk averse. Um, ironically, that's not really how we play football on the field, but off the field, we're risk averse, I would yeah. say. Okay, well, look, um, yeah. Well, here, here's a question um, from uh, Selkent Gunnar, at Selkent Gunnar, and he wants to know, do you think finishing outside the top four would bring about a change of manager? Because all this talk about a new manager is entirely redundant. And is that not what makes the frustration a bit more palpable? Is that even if you want change... 
you know it's not going to happen. I think so, because I think in football, the the great thing about football is the sense that anything can change. A new season, once May's over, mm. by the time August rolls around, expectations are entirely different. But I think at Arsenal... <sighs> There isn't there isn't that feeling, you know. It's a kind of uh, stasis that we're that we're in with the with the manager. And mm. I think, what was the original question? Sorry, I've got I've got into a, a sort of cycle of despair. Okay, it says, do you think finishing outside the top four would bring about a change of manager? Not really, no. <laughs> um, not really. I I, I can't. I, I can just envisage um, the sort of quotes from Ivan Gazidis saying, well, obviously we're very disappointed, but we still feel we've got the best man for the job. This is the first uh, time in 20 years that we finished outside the top four. You know, look at the other clubs who have done in that time. Everyone Chelsea would love to be outside were, the top yeah. four. Um, you know, we don't, we've got deals in place with Puma and Emirates that mean that financially it won't hit us too hard. Um, so, you know, we're gearing up for... A big campaign for next year. I, I one year from the end of his contract. Do I see anyone at the club pulling the trigger? No, I don't. Do you what, think? What do you think there's any way that if he did finish outside the top four, that Arsene Wenger might feel himself that he hasn't done enough or isn't able to get enough out of the players? So what do you think? Is, what do you think his response would be in in that regard? My feeling is that he would jettison some players, bring in new ones and look to do better the following season rather than say, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, you know, we all feel like we know Arsene because it's been such a long time. We followed him so closely. And my gut says that he's not someone who will be content to go out on a low mm. like that. My gut says that his pride uh, would almost compel him to come back and try and right those wrongs. Mm. Because he, he keeps coming back. You know, arguably he could have reached certain conclusions about his ability to win the major competitions several years ago, but he keeps coming back because he has ultimate faith in himself, which is which is admirable uh, to an extent. But I think he would want another crack at it, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he would feel he deserved that. Um, and I'm sure there are still some fans, although I think it's increasingly... a a, a shrinking minority mm. who would agree um, yeah but mm. I, I so I think I mean you're right I just think there's I can't see any way that he's not in charge next season at all yeah me neither me neither so uh, then the question becomes how do they reignite whatever needs to be reignited within the team and within the fan base because they've got to be cognizant of what the, the overwhelming mood is at the moment. You know, bar some, like, strange corners uh, of the internet, people are fairly realistic about what we Absolutely. are and how we're playing at this moment in time. Um, so, yeah, I mean... The, see, the thing, I mean, I, I said it today in the blog, is that if he goes out and buys five players or six players this summer, if he if he gets rid of... Someone like Walcott, who who has underperformed, if he shows some ruthlessness in the market and spends well, 
I'm not even talking about spending big. Obviously, you'd like him to sign some 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 good players, but it's not necessarily a, a question of of spending big. But I think he's going to have to. Um, you know, I think you can get away with, with good signings regardless of how much they cost. But if he goes out and does that, is it not just another opportunity for the same problems to manifest themselves in a different group of players? Because, you know, th- th- it feels like a cycle. Mm. Uh, I think you're probably right. I think, look, I don't think, I think we all know that the manager probably isn't going anywhere this summer, what, irrespective of what happens. I think what will be more interesting to follow is how the club manage the situation of whether or not he will receive an extension on this deal. And I, I don't know, normally around this time, at the end, you know, around a year from the end of his contract, the, the club will come out and the chief executive will make statements about how they hope to extend it. It will be very interesting to see if those same noises are made at the start of next season. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'd be fucking mad, wouldn't they? I mean, you'd be absolutely crazy. There'd be nobody in there doing any kind of PR or or damage control if they were to come out and start talking about extending Arsene Wenger's contract now. Mm. It would be absolutely absurd. Whether it's true or not, I mean, do what you want behind the scenes, but don't make it public. I would agree with you there, certainly. You know, here's, I mean, here's a question uh, on this, sort of whether it's indicative of anything in general, I I don't quite know, but J. Alex at Jordan Alex Moss wants to know, in your all-time greatest Arsenal memories, where does this moment rank? And it's a video of a tweet uh, that Arsenal put up this morning. Relive the moment Alexis Sanchez went close against Palace with a diving (laughs) header. (laughs) Oh, dear. I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure the (laughs) Arsenal.com guys are under instruction to to get out certain content, but they're... It is quite funny at times when when we've had a, a negative result and they're trying to put the positive spin on it. Um, I'll tell you that that memory doesn't rank particularly highly for no. me. Um, I don't even. In fact, I, I don't even want to relive it. If that's quite all right, it's, it's got that, too many painful associations. That's fine. That's fine. I didn't think it would be very high on your list. <laughs> what about this question from uh, Adrian at Adrian Rayford on Twitter? Uh, we talked about the possibility of dropping out of the top four. He says, would we be better off out of the Champions League next year? I, you see, I don't... I don't see how that's necessarily true. Because... I guess, I guess the argument is... Fewer games. A split focus, fewer games. Well, I mean, you, you've, you've still got to play League. Europa League. Yeah, but you can sack that off, can't you? Well, do <laughs> you know what, though? Um... For all the criticism and for all the scoffing it gets, the Europa League has been a fucking much more exciting and interesting tournament once it's hit the knockout stages than the Champions League. That's true. That's very true. There's been some cracking games, some decent teams. I, you know, I think there's a touch of snobbery about it. You know, if Arsenal were in the in the Europa League and we got to the final, nobody's going to go, well, yeah, don't really care about this or don't want to go to that game. It's a load of bollocks. I mean, I think you want to be in the Champions League uh, people ask, what is the point? And from a fan's point of view, I get that completely. Like, I haven't found the Champions League particularly enjoyable for a long time. There's been very little to like about what we've done in the tournament. Not much mm. to like about the way we've played. Some the games are like Arsenal versus Olympiacos. That was good this season. That was good. But only because we fucked it up and made it into something that it shouldn't have been in the first place. 
Like, we got the excitement from that game through failing in a couple of other games. Um, so for, from a fan's point of view, I can see that question and why, you know, what's the point of the Champions League? We get to the round of 16 and we get knocked out. But I think we overlook how much the players want to play in it. And I'm not suggesting that you have to be in the Champions League to sign good players. We've, uh, we've seen in the past that that's not necessarily the case. But the players want to play in the Champions League. The players want the chance to win the Champions League. And it does make a difference when you're trying to sign players if you're going to be in that competition. I think it does. I think it, it opens up the market to a, a higher level of player. So mm. um, I think it would make a difference if you were out of the Champions League. In the past, you would have said as well that there was a financial difference, that it would have, it would have affected our finances. Do you remember that um, not so long ago, when the stadium was in the, well, like we just moved into the stadium or uh, around that time anyway. And the club had said, yeah, well, we've budgeted for a couple of years outside of the Champions League. If and when that happens, you know, we can still do what we need to do as a, as a football club. They took that into account. Now, I don't think it makes any real difference because of the amount of money that's come through the new TV deals that the Champions League becomes, OK, it's a nice little bit of money, but it's not the be all and end all because you're getting so much more from Sky and BT and the worldwide rights that the Premier League is selling for. You're getting so much money from there. So it doesn't make as much difference as it did financially. I do think from a footballing point of view, players want to be in the Champions League and you have a better chance of attracting top quality players if you are in the competition. But you also have a better chance of attracting top quality players if you show your extraordinary ambition by actually going out and trying to sign some of the fuckers. Yes, there is that. And also, I think, I also think uh, not being in the Champions League potentially gives certain players an out. Uh huh. Is that a thing? Yeah, could like, be. Uh, it's an excuse, isn't it? It's an excuse for the old transfer request yeah. to land on Arsene Wenger's desk. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, in fact, given that being out of the Champions League effectively would mean being in the Europa League, unless our collapse is even more spectacular than we imagined. Mm. Um, I'd say I'd rather be in the Champions League any day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's uh, here's one from MJ, at MJ underscore bow underscore underscore. That's it, just underscore. My okay. intonation was wrong on that last underscore. Should That's have just fine. Been underscore. The people will forgive you. Not underscore, because it sounds like there's something else coming. So, I'm with you. Yeah, you, get, you, you get me. I get you, I get you. He wants to know, what other sport should I start following, seeing that football is the absolute worst? <laughs> Um, I don't know what other sport what, what sport problems with football I guess that you're continually let down by collective idiocy mm. I'd say follow an individual sport because that's less likely that that person's gonna you know what I mean there's less there's 11 people for Arsenal who could fuck it up just go with the one. Yeah, but hang on. If you say go to an individual sport, let's say you decide golf. So there's a golf tournament tomorrow. The the Masters, the Hamon Ruffles Masters takes place in exactly. Madrid tomorrow. Um, that's why I'm here. Yeah, that's why you're here. And uh, there's 200 and whatever golfers enter that. Are your odds of winning not much much uh, much slimmer? If you invest in, I don't know, uh, your local golfer or, you know, one of the guys who isn't Rory so McIlroy. Well, what about something that's just one-on-one? -on -one? Like, I don't know, mixed martial arts? I find that, yeah, I guess. But then, even they'll let you down. Conor McGregor. Yeah. He was the guy, and then he lost. 
Lots of Irish guys. I was <laughs> I was walking through town the other day. Have you seen the TV show Peaky Blinders? Mm. Yeah. There must have been like a Peaky Blinders slash Conor McGregor themed wedding going on somewhere. Because <laughs> there were just all these guys with ridiculous beards and suits with ties and flat caps and like hobnail boots with their suits and stuff. It was bananas. There was about 15 of them. What the fuck? But anyway, that's a, that's a side that's a side track. Yeah, I mean, you could you could get into boxing or one of those. Yeah, pick a really good boxer. Isn't there a cool? Tennis. Isn't there a cool boxer guy who's an Arsenal fan at the moment? Uh, Anthony Joshua. Yeah, is he an Arsenal fan? He might be. I actually don't know. He's from Watford, but I, I mean, I was born in Watford, and I'm an Arsenal fan. So well, chances are. Anthony do you, do you think you could be Arsenal. related? Um, I don't think so. Right, I'm honest with you. Um, he is an Arsenal fan. Well, there you go. And he's the heavyweight champion. Yeah, so you got to get into uh, get into Anthony Joshua there. MJ underscore Bo underscore. Yeah, Anthony Joshua. That's a good one to follow. Yeah, he's certainly he's certainly you know. Hey, well, he's definitely more aggressive than this Arsenal team. I'm looking at a picture of him with with the Ox. I see him now. Oh, and one with with Callum Chambers. He could teach them a thing or two. Certainly could. I tell you what, Anthony Joshua would have put fucking Adi Bayor into the stand rather yeah. than just run alongside him going, la, 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 Because I, I assume I mean, that's what was going on in Gabriel's head. Arsene Wenger does have a history of, you know, converting players' positions. He, he turned Colo Torre into a centre-half. Could he do the same with Anthony Joshua? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. You know, we don't need a footballing centre-half. We need someone who can defend. Yeah, we need someone who can, like, spark people's lights out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, get Anthony Joshua on it. He's, he's the man. Yeah. I'd like to see Jamie Vardy try and dive near him. Yeah, or be racist. <laughs> Good point. Good point. All right, have you got another one? Uh, probably. I mean, something awful like... Oh, what should we do with the manager? Should we tie him to a tree? What am I going to do with all my tears? Should I <laughs> bottle them and start selling them as a drink? What, what you know? How should we burn down the Emirates Stadium? What's the best lighter fuel? Um, Jays. Yeah, <laughs> they're sponsoring the show this week. Um, we have got other questions. Let's go with this. It's from One Angry Helmet on Twitter. <laughs> The appropriate name. Absolutely. Uh, it conjures up a great image, doesn't it? His real name's Michael. He said, after another bad result in a season of bad results, what flavour crisps are your favourite? Straight away I can go in. I've made my mind up in the last few days. It's got to be ham on ruffles. It's the texture. I like the sort of, you know, they're sort of diagonally crunchy, aren't they? They're like, I guess mm. they're a bit like McCoy's in that respect. But also the, the, the lashings of ham on flavouring make them the clear winner for me. Andrew, over to you. Best crisps. I am a big fan. Every time I go to Spain, I get uh, a big bag of Lay's, just salted Lay's. Lay's. Now, I I believe, I could be wrong here, but just by judging packets and all that, but that basically Lay's are Walker's crisps. Lay's are Walker's, yes. Right. But there's something different about Lay's salted and just Walker's ready salted crisps. They're different. You know what I think it is? What? The absence of Gary Lineker. That is exactly what it is. There's no Gary Lineker on Lay's salted crisps. So you go to Spain, you go to the supermarket, you wander in, you buy some water, you buy a big bag of Lay's, you get a couple of bottles of cava for three quid each, 
It's 28, it's mental, 28 it? San Miguel beers for two pounds. Uh, and you go back to your apartment or your hotel or wherever it is you're staying, you just sit there and go, nah, 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 with Lay's, like, salted. And they're, for me, they're just the best. I like those. But Lay are walkers, ready salted. That's, that's exactly what it is. They're infused with the essence of Lineker. That's it. And you can't escape it. No. It's pervasive. It really is. But, I mean, um, aside from that, aside from that, you know what I don't like? I don't like a lot of these gourmet crisps. You know, sort like of made up flavors. Yeah, but not not so much that, but like handcrafted, hand chopped kettle chips and all those. They're too uh, they're too oily. They're like I know what you mean. I know what you mean. How do you feel about crisps that aren't made of potatoes? I'm not averse to those at all. Are you talking about stuff like Cheetos or cheesy o cheese puffs? I'm talking about no. I was meaning sort of posher than that. I mean sort Ooh. of vegetable crisps like parsnip crisps and things like that. Have you ever come across Fuck those? Off. Like, yeah, yeah. They no. look like potpourri. They no. They need to fuck they off. They taste a bit like potpourri as yeah, well. Yeah, they need to get just fucking go jump off a cliff. Parsnip crisps. No, it's, it gets worse than that, mate. It's like beetroot crisps. I mean, I live in London, so it's so it's, 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 it's gone mad. Oh, salt, salt and vinegar celeriac chips. Exactly that. Exactly fucking cunts. That. Every single person who's ever made one of those or eaten one of those should be like fed into a wood chipper Fargo style. That's they should what be turned into crisps. Yeah. I mean, when we were in Barcelona, we, we got a big, huge bag of cheesy poof type things. Mm. And they're so disgusting mm. and delicious. That's what you want. They're disgusting and delicious. And you go, oh, these are disgusting. I got to have more. Oh, I hate myself so much for eating these. I'm never eating another one of these again. And you just can't. And then the bag is gone. And you're sitting there going, oh, that was fucking terrible. But so good. Yeah, so good. That's it. See, look, we've managed to finish on a high. Yeah, we have. We have. I'm going to go. The crisps are calling to me. Ham on ruffles. <laughs> they're, they're, they're shouting my name. No, can't hear them. It's very quiet. It's very quiet. It's like a dog whistle. Yeah. And I'll um, I'll, I'll post you some lays. Oh, will you please? That'd oh, be yeah. great. Pop them, in the, pop them in the post. Yeah, exactly. They don't get smashed up or anything on the on the way over. Okay, lovely. Great. All right, well, listen. Bubble wrap. Yeah. <laughs> Individual bubble wrap for each uh, each crisp. That'll be good. So next time I speak to you, we'll have played two games. Yes, West Brom on Thursday and then... Sunderland at the weekend. Yes. Should Sunderland away, is it? Yeah, that looks tricky. Hmm. They all look tricky, to be honest, now. <laughs> we could be playing against a Girl Scout 11 and I'd still be a little bit worried that we might I mean, not we be able to I could be playing them. Aston Villa and I'd be worried, and we are. <laughs> oh, well, look, well, um, yeah, we'll see what happens between now and then and we'll obviously have uh, fun things to talk about next Monday and I don't know what's going to happen with the Arsecast on Friday. Is it late night Thursday or am I going to have to... We're going to have to we'll just... See. We'll see. I'm going to have to do something. I'll figure it out, though. Uh, enjoy the rest of your trip, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you on the next one. Adios. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.